It's Monday, and you've got Oz in your ears. This is Peter Bergman on the road for Radio Free Oz, and I'm in the Hello Kitty Main Cathedral of the Church of One Way Light, listening to Pastor Mercer Berther wind up his sermon to the 5,000 One Way Lighters here in the hall. Many of my flock have come up on me and asked, Pastor, how can we be sure that we're real Americans? And not a bunch of undocumented parasites like all the not-me's out there. And I say that God has given you more than two punched stone tablets, more than one rosy crosshair, more than a thousand virgins waiting on the wrong side of heaven for themselves. He has given you his most precious seal. He has certified us. And we noose that holy ticket around our necks and hang it proudly twixt our breasts. Pastor of Peter Bergman, Radio Free Oz. Hey, you really have the congregation in the palm of your hand. Well, it's where I like to hold him. Him? Uh, uh, no, no, this, this, my badge, my birthright, my birth certificate. I hold it very dear. May I read it? Sure. Uh, let's see. Mm-hmm. Hold Mercer Berther was born to Luther and Bertha Berther mm-hmm. on July 3rd, 1951, attested by Corliss McClutter, the redundant register of Hintville, Arizona. Yes, I'm a Hintville hyena, class of 67. Summer nights under the bleachers with the cheerleaders... Or was it the drum majors? Well, anyway, walk with me through the one-light trade show to my lair. <laughs> the Church of One-Way Light welcomes the North Oklahoma Teabag Dips and the Phoenix chapter of the Fun Famished Freeloaders. You're wearing your ticket, so come in and kick it. So, where's yours? Where's my what? Your certificate, pilgrim. Oh, 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 this. No, not your press pass. That's not your American ticket. Any tanned skin, clean-shaven, wide-hipped terrorist could walk in here with one of those. Well, I don't find it necessary to walk around with my birth certificate hung around my neck, Pastor. Obamanite. I'm not the president's man. Hey, he ain't the president, because he won't sport a ticket. So I don't have to pay him taxes so he can go sleep with Che and Mao. Go easy on him, Lighter. He's a tweeny. Tweeny? Yeah, you're tween, being an idiot and getting a ticket. Down here, you don't wear one of those. They're likely to drag you off and push your ass through the wrong face of the fence. I saw a lot of uh, soldiers in the cathedral, Pastor. Oh, that's the one-way light brigade. They're not going back to AFPAC. Until Mr. B. Hussein up there in the White House flashes his membership. And what if he does produce his birth certificate? What then? Well, I'd say that any man who can manipulate the Internet to get elected president is capable of going up there and getting a counterfeit ticket. No, that not me is keen you bound. We'll throw away the election and Senator Dang Fenson, Mama Grizzly, will take over... And then it's one-way light, all the way. This is Peter Bergman for Radio Free Oz, and I'm getting my ticket out of here.
Welcome back to Radio Free Oz here on RadioFreeOz.com. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, my co-host, David Osmond. Hey, welcome back. Uh, where did they go? Well, they had a weekend. You never know what's going to happen to Ozites, if I can be so bold, over the weekend. this We basically broadcast or webcast, however you want to look look at it, to an eclectic crowd who have things to do on the weekend besides watching SmackDown or whatever. (laughs) I hope nobody's... Well, who knows what they're watching. It's all right to watch SmackDown. I mean, it's all imaginary. It's all in cartoon land. Well, that's the problem. Less and less are we able to live in cartoon land. Oh, come on. Mighty Mouse is real. (laughs) Yeah, he is real. He's just sleeping. Uh, Yeah, no, I'm not taking taking away from our listeners. Some of them may indeed be uh, parishioners at the uh, Church of uh, One Way Light. For all we know, oh, it could be that they're down there, or they, or the first uh, the first Church of Science Fiction. Could, could be, could, could be, be. And, and and I understand what's really interesting, and it's very pluralistic of you, David, is that you're basically the spiritual leader of both of those churches, <laughs> and I I think that's just fabulous. It's diverse, and it's Plan B at its best. On his weekly radio and internet address from the barrier island town of Grand Isle, Louisiana, President Barack Obama said that he will stand with Gulf Coast residents until they are made whole from the oil spill catastrophe. Let me stop right there. All the nattering nabobs and the talking heads are accusing Obama of being weak on this disaster of bungling and, and, and trusting the, the experts and, and going with BP for much too long. You know, it's true. It's a very, very complicated situation. Of course, when it did happen, where else was he going to turn? Um, the oil industry were the only people digging a mile deep. All right. So yeah, it's been a tough time. But when all is said and done, in fact, by the midterms, what people are going to remember are statements like, I will stand with you Gulf Coast residents until you are made whole. This is the opposite. This is the flip side of George Bush and Katrina. Barack Obama does have a heart. He spoke of the people he'd met, an oyster fisherman named Floyd, whose oyster beds have been destroyed by oil, and Terry, a shrimper who is losing income because shrimp fishing has been shut down. Obama. These folks worked hard. They meet their responsibilities. But now, because of a man-made catastrophe, one that's not their fault and that's beyond their control, their lives have been thrown into turmoil. It's brutally unfair. It's wrong. And what I told these men and women and what I have said since the beginning of this disaster is that I'm going to stand with the people of the Gulf Coast until they are made whole. Yep, that's what he will be remembered for. And in an increasingly forceful tone that he's been directing towards BP, the British oil giant that was drilling the well that blew up, Obama said, we will make sure they pay every single dime owed to the people along the Gulf Coast. Obama was thoroughly displeased with a $50 million ad campaign that BP is running, featuring CEO Tony Hayward pledging to fix the damage caused by an undersea gusher and do everything we can so that this never happens again. I don't have a problem with BP fulfilling its legal obligations, Obama said. What I don't want to hear is when they're spending that kind of money on their shareholders and spending that kind of money on TV advertising that they're nickel and diming fishermen or small businesses here in the Gulf who are having a hard time. Obama said the money should have been spent on cleanup efforts and on compensating fishermen and small business owners who have lost their jobs because of the spill. 
Now, Hayward, this is Tony Hayward, the CEO. You know, I asked myself, how did such a young guy become the CEO of a company that makes $17 billion a year in profits? That's after they've paid for all of the faulty you know, faulty platforms and paid off all the politicians and paid themselves enormous amounts of money and paid politicians and spin doctors and spin mistresses. They still made $17 billion. How did this this young, charming guy become their CEO? And I, I finally figured it out. He looks like Tony Blair. He's not an oil engineer, probably just went through business school as quickly as possible, but he must be quite charismatic. He must be the person they send out to, you know, to basically... Uh, lamplight all those uh, heads of government and various other people who think he's just charming and the money he hands out is just charming and all they have to do is turn their back while BP does their worst. Okay, Hayward narrates the ad over images of boom laying in clear water before uncontaminated marshes and healthy pelicans. Cleanup crews walk with trash bags on white sand beaches as he touts the oil giant's response efforts. The ad's imagery clashes, unfortunately, with disturbing news photographs published recently of pelicans coated in oil, gunk dripping from their beaks. Well, I just guess the the people that made the ad just missed that one. As the ad fades out to show BP's website and volunteer hotline, Hayward says, We will get this done. We will make this right. And here's BP's latest gambit. They've purchased several phrases on search engines such as Google and Yahoo so that the first result that shows up directs information seekers to the company's official website. A simple Google search of oil spill turns up several thousand news results, but the first link highlighted at the very top of the page is from BP. Quote, learn more about how BP is helping, the link's tagline reads. So they're spending a fortune not only on, on, on bogus TV ads, but they're spending a fortune buying keywords on Google and Yahoo. Hey, Google. Hey, Yahoo. Why are you selling them those keywords? Because it's an open market? Because it's an amoral space? Hey, come on! Here's a piece of good news, all right? A Southern California mother whose two children were reported missing 15 years ago has tracked them down in Florida using Facebook. Wow. All right. The children's father, Faustino Utrera. Well, anybody named Faustino, that's Faust. I mean, would you marry Faust, a man named Faustino. Faust? Faustino. Oh, okay. Took off with him in 1995 when they were two and three years old, respectively, said San Bernardino Deputy District Attorney Kurt Rowley. The mother had found her daughter's Facebook profile after searching for her name on the social networking site in March. An official said recently that the now 17-year-old girl and 16-year-old boy have been placed in the custody of the state of Florida. You can imagine the feeling she's having not seeing her children for so many years and knowing they've bonded with another family, Rowley said about the mother. But at the same time, they're almost within her grasp. Raleigh said that when the children, when the daughter's profile was found on Facebook, she initially told her mother that she did not want to reestablish their relationship. But the contact helped prosecutors file two felony counts, each of kidnapping and child abduction, against Utrira. Well, this uh, this will show up on uh, CSI Miami uh, it, within weeks. That story. Well, well CSI San Bernardino. <clears throat> they're they're breaking it down. There's more and more. Shows. Really, it's gonna CSI be, oh, it's San gonna be Bernardino. CSI, and then it's going to be you know, uh, yeah. That's, you know, I'm frightened about that. You know, I mean, fr- the only thing that happens in San Bernardino is like. Oil spills. Oil spills and and um, uh, mortgage bubbles. Mortgage bubbles are very big in that part of the they country. They burst just like the oil spills. 
Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke said he is hopeful the economy will gain traction and not fall back into a double-dip recession. My favorite flavor of economic hardship, double-dip. My best guess, he says, this is his best guess, is we will have a continued recovery, but it won't feel terrific, Bernanke said. We've been suffering from his best guesses for over a year now, and his best guesses aren't good enough. He says that's because economic growth won't be robust enough to quickly drive down the unemployment rate. Now at 9.7%, he said in remarks at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars, a nonpartisan research group. I am a Woodrow Wilson International Scholar, and I am not happy that a second-rate mind like Ben Bernanke is talking to those people. But what can I do? They're in Princeton, New Jersey, and I'm on Whidbey Island. Live with it, Pete. The economy grew at a 3% pace in the first quarter of this year. That's good growth during normal times, but coming out of such a deep recession, the economy must grow much more strongly to make a dent in the jobless rate. Fears have grown that the recovery could be derailed if Europe's debt crisis turns into a broader financial contagion, which it is. Crimping lending in the United States and around the globe, the situation has spooked investors, sending Wall Street into fits of panic. I don't see any footage of Wall Street people running around in fits of panic. The only thing they're concerned about is that their bonuses won't be big enough to build another house on the Hampton for their anorexic mistresses. Observing the economy, Bernanke said the news so far is pretty good. Is he living in an alternate America? Both consumers and companies are spending sufficiently to keep the economy moving forward, he said. That's right. The Fed keeps money so cheap it's still possible to blow up the already primed-to-burst debt bubble. When that happens, will we get a public mea culpa from, from Ben like his sainted mentor, Alan Greenspan? I loved Alan Greenspan going, you know, I think I, think I made a, a few mistakes. Yeah, and we all paid for it, Alan. The private sector, this is Bernanke again, said, is picking up the baton as government stimulus, which mainly powered the recovery in its early stages, starts to fade. So it's a relay race, okay? I don't know where we fit in. Are we the last one in the race to get the baton while the rest of the world and our happiness and the American future races far ahead of us towards the finish line, the line at which we are all finished? Well, okay, we'll just have to wait and see because the track meet ain't over. If you're thinking about illegal immigration, be careful when you're choosing the nation, because breaking the law in some countries is frowned upon. Imagine that. Sneak into China, they'll call you a spy, and ship you to Mongolia till you die, and in the Sudan, they'll hang you and the camel you rode in on. <laughs> yeah, and don't go hiking and enter Iran, or you might never be heard from again, and in Mexico, you might face a firing squad. Yeah, forget all about going to North Korea. That's a great example of a bad idea. So when it comes down to it, there's only one option you got. Yeah, come to the USA. There's no penalty to pay. Should you get caught illegally immigrating? A 32-year-old Mexican man has died after being shocked by a stun gun during a confrontation with Border Patrol agents at a California border crossing. 
Anastasio Hernandez died at a hospital in Chula Vista, south of San Diego, days after he was shocked at San Ysidro say U.S. and Mexican officials. U.S. Customs and Border Protection spokeswoman Jacqueline Dizdul alleges Hernandez became combative with agents who were preparing to hand him over to Mexican officials in Tijuana after he entered the United States illegally. After he ignored repeated orders to stop fighting, one of the Border Patrol officers shocked him with a stun gun to subdue him and protect agents, she said. Paramedics were notified immediately, and Hernandez was taken uh, to the hospital, Dizdul said. The Border Patrol also worked to allow several of his family members into the United States to be with him. Dizdul said the Border Patrol regrets the loss of life and is awaiting the results of the investigation. Then I presume they will ship Hernandez's family back to Mexico and go recharge their tasers. Uh, another juicy tidbit from Time Magazine, which is becoming one of my favorite kind of comedy sheets. Uh huh. Uh, when I was growing up, Luce's magazine was gray and, Very it, gray. and it, it ran the Cold War. Okay, not anymore. Edison had his light bulb, they write. Mm -hmm. Ford has Model T, and Jan Vinces Kraus has his spray on condom. Inspired the, by the mechanics of a drive through car wash. The German sexual health educator designed a custom-fitting male contraceptive using liquid latex and some materials from a hardware store. I don't want to know what those materials Not are. specifically. I, I don't no. want to know. I hope he wasn't in the pliers section. U.S. condom sales have been increasing steadily over the years, and they are expected to top $444 million annually by 2010. Well, that's nothing compared to... BP profits, you know. No, and, maybe they could get a giant They've been condom screwing us to, for years. <laughs> what about a giant condom to go over the oil leak? You know? Yeah, a real top kill. Yeah. Okay, but usage among teens appears to have leveled off with 61.5% of sexually active high schoolers reporting they've used condoms during their most recent intercourse, down from 62.8 in 2005 and 63% in 2003. Okay, as a teenager, Krauss, he's now 30 years old, had trouble finding the right size condom which sent him on a quest to aid other similarly befuddled young men. I mean, wait a minute. You're right. Anybody that can't find the right size condom I, it qualifies as befuddled. One size fits, fits all. all. Yeah. In 2001, he developed an online condom advisor, which provides printable measuring tapes and instructions to help men determine which condom out of all the brands available in Germany will fit the best. It's ah, so German. Yeah, it's it is German. so German. Oh, that explains the whole thing. Like here we have two, like we have Trojans and there's the other one. <laughs> the other one without the tip. Yeah. According to Krauss, more than 300,000 people have used the free service. The prototype for his spray-on condom, which began testing last year, consists of a hard plastic tube with nozzles that spray liquid latex from all directions, much like the water jets in the tunnel of a car wash. Oh, boy. <laughs> According to Krauss, there are numerous advantages to a spray-on condom. I'm going to drive my little, my little MG ride through this. Okay, little MG. Yeah, well, that, I was thinking my MG, yeah, right, yeah, my yeah, challenger. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> my, my roadrunner. So... He said the condom fits 100% perfectly, so mm -hmm. the safety is much higher than a standard condoms, and it feels more natural. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Spraying liquid latex on your dingo uh -huh. right, is going to feel much more natural than slipping on one of those magnums. The design problem, <laughs> which has kept the product off the market thus far, yes. the design problem, mm -hmm. is that latex takes too long to dry. Oh. Liquid latex currently takes two to three minutes to <laughs> 
Vulcanized. Excuse me, to Vulcanize. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, I'm being Vulcanized. <laughs> Thus, market-wise, making it impractical, says Krauss. For people to buy it, it needs to be ready in five to ten seconds. So you're going to have to put some heating chemical in there that will Vulcanize rubber in ten seconds. Yeah, well, that that's part of the thing, you know. You put the heating chemical in there. Ooh, let me tell you, you could drive your Mini and it becomes a, a 16-wheeler. Now, here's an interesting piece written by Christopher Brownfield. He's a former nuclear submarine officer, an Iraq veteran, and a visiting scholar on nuclear policy at Columbia University. Here's what he writes. I served in the headquarters of the Iraq War, where my strategic-level energy team frequently dealt with exploded oil pipelines. Before all of this, I spent over 15,000 hours of my life working underwater on nuclear submarines. I understand oil. I understand what it takes to work underwater. I understand BP's modus operandi. So why am I having such a difficult time convincing my government that a conventional demolition of this oil well is a feasible and serious option? My previous mention of a nuclear demolition, which I immediately ruled out for political reasons, has turned into a straw man that has distracted our attention from the pragmatic solution I advocated publicly weeks ago. Uh, a, a recent New York Times article said that some have also suggested conventional explosives, claiming that oil prospectors on land have used such blasts to put out fires and seal boreholes. But oil engineers say that dynamite or other conventional explosives risk destroying the wellhead so that the flow could never be plugged from the top. Sadly, says Brownfield, this is a weak and error-ridden argument. It completely misses the point that subsurface demolition makes plugging the well from the top unnecessary. Anyone who has ever looked at the construction of an oil well and the geological layers of rock that an oil well penetrates would understand how an explosive below the surface could sever the long, thin well and bury it permanently under an impermeable rock formation. The United States Navy has deep submergence rescue vehicles and underwater explosive experts that can be brought to the scene. Congressmen around America have demolition companies in their districts who can contribute their expertise to this precision detonation under the Navy's command. Oil service companies can assist with drilling the shallow holes in which to place the conventional explosives. Geologists who are not on the payroll of the oil companies can suggest the optimal places to sever this straw with conventional explosives and quench the gusher. Why is this option not on the table at the White House or in the governing offices of BP? Why is this not being taken seriously? Or is this being held a secret? Perhaps this is what the Obama administration means to do. I don't know. This guy Brownfield is not a quack and he's not a nut and he's got the experience. I believe he should be taken seriously. He may not be right. I'm no oil engineer. Either is Tony Hayward. But we've got to give this serious attention. Can we pretend that airplanes in the night sky like shooting stars? I could really use a wish right now, wish right now, wish right now. Can we pretend that airplanes in the night sky like shooting stars? I could really use a wish right now, wish right now, wish right now.
Let's pretend like it's 98. Like I'm eating lunch off a styrofoam tray. Yeah. Trying to be the next rapper coming out the A. Hoping for a record deal to ignore my pain. Yeah. Now let's pretend like I'm on the stage. Check, and when check. my beat drops, everybody goes insane. Okay. And everybody know my name. Uh-huh. And everywhere I go, people want to hear me sing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I just dropped my new album. On the first week, I did 500,000. Yes. Gold in the spring and diamond in the fall. Okay. And then the world tour just to top it all off. Uh-huh. And let's pretend like they call me the greatest. Yeah. Selling out arenas with big-ass stages. Ow. And everybody Ow. loved me and no one ever hated. <laughs> just try to use imagination. Can you pretend that airplanes in the night sky like shooting stars? This never happened Like I never had dreams Of being a rapper Like I didn't write raps Up in all of my classes Like I never used to run away Into the blackness now Let's pretend like it was all good Like I didn't live Staring in the notebook Like I did the things That I probably knew I should But I ain't have neighbors That's why they call it hood Yeah Now let's pretend like I ain't got a name Before they ever call me B.O.B. or A.K.A. Bobby Ray I'm talking back Before the mixtapes Before the videos And the deals And the fame Before before they ever once compare me to Andre Before I ever got on my space Before they ever noticed my face So let's just pretend and make wishes out of airplanes Can we pretend that airplanes in the night sky Like shooting stars I can really use a wish right now Wish right now, wish right now Can we pretend that airplanes in the night sky Like shooting stars I can really use a wish right now Wish right now, wish right now and it seems like yesterday, it was just a dream, but those days are gone, they're just memories. And it seems like yesterday, it was just a dream, but those days are gone. Alright. Let's pretend Marshall Mathers never picked up a pin Let's pretend things would have been no different Pretend he procrastinated, had no motivation Pretend he just made excuses that were so paper thin They could blow away with the wind Marshall, you're never gonna make it Makes no sense to play the game, there ain't no way that you'll win Pretend he just stayed outside all day and played with his friends Pretend he even had a friend to say was his friend And it wasn't time to move and schools weren't changing again He wasn't socially awkward and just strange as a kid He had a father and his mother wasn't crazy as shit And he never dreamed he could rip stadiums and just lazy as shit Fuck a talent show in the gymnasium, bitch You want him out the shit? Quit daydreaming, kid You need to get your cranium checked You're thinking like an alien, it just ain't realistic Now pretend pain just make him angry with this shit And there was no one he could even aim when he's pissed it And his alarm went off to wake him, but he didn't make it To the Rap Olympics, slept through his plane and he missed it He's gonna have a hard time explaining to Haley and Laney These food stamps and this wick shit Cause he never risked shit He hoped and he wished it, but it didn't fall in his lap So he ain't even here, he pretends Airplanes in the night sky like shooting stars I can really use a wish right now Wish right now, wish right now Can we pretend that airplanes in the night sky like shooting stars I can really use a wish right now Wish right now, wish right now
Well, Peter, I'm speaking to you from underneath the underwater plume right now, just hoping there's some good news out there on the horizon. Well, Can't there, see any from here. But. There is. Remember yep. the Reverend Ted Haggard, the one who had the huge church and big homophobe and all that, and they discovered that he was homosexual and he was having and methamphetamine-based relationships with a gay masseuse or something like that. Something and, like that. And then they excommunicated him from his mega church, and it was just awful. Well, Reverend Ted Haggard gave a press conference recently to make a big announcement about his career path. He's back? And what an announcement it was. Okay. Outside of his home in Colorado Springs, which is where all the Christians are, yep. with his family by his side, they stuck with him, mm -hmm. Haggard revealed that he's starting a new church. Okay, now if he's still got his family by his side, he's either by or, or his wife is getting... Uh, something else happening somewhere else. I don't know. I don't want to pretend. It was a big church. Big church, there's right? It's a big church. There's room for everyone. Yeah. Haggard said that many may believe he's not qualified to be a pastor again, but he thinks that because of what we've been through, he's qualified to help other people in need. This is the Charles Colson defense. Yeah, but he ain't no Colson. <laughs> okay. Haggard, of course, is referring to 2006 when he admitted to a homosexual affair amid allegations of drug use. He was the founder and leader of the evangelical New Life Church at the time, but was excommunicated following the rev revelations. All right. He said that his new church, St. James Church in Colorado Springs, will welcome everyone, including those who are gay, straight, bi, tall, short, whether you're an addict, a recovering addict, or you have an addict in your family. Democrats are welcome. Republicans are welcome. Independents are welcome, Hag Haggard added. Referring to the scandal as the crash, Haggard noted that since it happened, I don't judge people anymore. However, he did emphasize that there will be no gay marriages performed in the church because God's ideal plan for a marriage is the union of a man and a woman. Haggard added that it's also God's ideal that we all have our weight under control, but that doesn't always happen. I don't want to be a political <laughs> activist, Haggard said. I want to help people. Well, bless him, bless him. Bless him, Absolutely. man. Yeah, I mean, you know, he is no Colson. When, when Proctor and I were on the um, Maury Povich show in Washington, D.C. many years ago, uh, we did it many times, uh, Colson preceded us once and wouldn't allow us on set. He would not allow the likes of us to be on set as he did his whole Christian criminal prison stuff. No, no, I'll tell you. Haggard, I mean, Charles Colson is no Ted Haggard. Okay, the primary elections are over, and for the Republican Party, they contain good news and bad news. I'm taking this out of the Daily Beast. The good news, Republicans are angry. Oh, you think? Angry at Barack Obama, angry at the national debt, even angry at some of the leaders of their own party. I love the fact that they're angry at the national debt, as if it is indeed some monster that stalks the nation. They've anthropomorphized it, so they've given it a personality. They hate it, and of course they connect Che, Mao, Stalin, Obama with it. It's just a total coffee clutch of wingnuts. Okay. Republicans, well, they're angry, and angry is a good motivator. And in midterm elections where turnout is usually small, a little motivation goes a long way. The bad news, Republicans are not hungry. They're not willing to submerge their anger for the sake of winning elections. That's right. We're looking at ignorant, um, ideological purity. They either don't think they need to compromise their, this ideological purity to beat Democrats this fall, or they don't care. In either case... 
They may be blowing their shot at a midterm landslide. This is something I've been saying since I went on the air in April and have been thinking for a year. Oh, patting myself on the back. Okay, two exhibits to prove the point. Exhibit A, California, uh, the state from which I have recently fled. The Golden State's political history is clear. Centrist Republicans like Schwarzenegger and Pete Wilson, who was a moderate when he was elected, then became an anti-immigrant demagogue. Bad food, who knows, bad company. They can win stateside elections, but right-wing Republicans cannot. The state is just too culturally liberal and too ethnically diverse. This year, GOP primary voters could have chosen a slightly dull, highly wonky, pro-choice former congressman named Tom Campbell. Campbell, according to a recent Los Angeles Times poll, would have led incumbent Democratic Senator Barbara Boxer by seven points in the general election. Instead, they chose former Hewlett-Packard CEO Carly Fiorina, who opposes the right to abortion, can't decide if global warming is real, won the endorsement of Sarah Mama Grizzly Palin, and according to the Times poll, trails Boxer by the same margin that Campbell leads her. Fiorina didn't win the GOP Senate primary only because she is more conservative. She also bought it with her vast personal wealth. Carly Fiorina, I have to tell you my Carly Fiorina story. Uh, just before the millennium, I was on the uh, corporate speaking uh, circuit. And one of the gigs I did was for HP, and Carly Fiorina had just become their new CEO. And this took place in, in a, a warehouse that had been turned into a kind of a carnival space in Miami, Florida. And it was jammed with people, and there was liquor everywhere. Now, normally I go out and do this kind of like high-end act in front of people sitting, you know, eating rubber chicken or drinking Coca-Cola in places, but no, no. Preceding me is a chorus line of Las Vegas beauties, you know, with, with headdresses eight feet tall. They go out and dance and they got guys there singing. I thought, oh no, well, they're paying me. I got to do it. So I walk out on stage. Carly Fiorina's in the front row. The place is mad. They're just mumbling and screaming and drinking. And I went, oh, no. And I took a solid look at her, and the place went silent. And I got through my act without any jeering, without any kind of, you know, alcoholic response. I spent most of my time playing Carly. Well, <laughs> I think other people are going to be playing Carly very soon. Exhibit two, Nevada, where everyone agrees that Senator Majority Leader Harry Reid is extremely vulnerable, probably for doing a real good job leading a funky Senate, okay? But perhaps not quite vulnerable enough to lose to Sharon Engel, a woman who wants to abolish Social Security, the Department of Education, and the income tax. Reid did his best to make Engel his opponent spending heavily to undermine the more moderate GOP frontrunner, Sue Loudon. Well, she actually undermined herself. She's the one that said, we don't need health care. We can just trade chickens with the doctor. So, of course, Harry Reid sent chickens to all of her gatherings, and, and the state passed a law making it illegal for people in chicken suits to vote in Nevada. I, I just love it, the way some of those dress. How can you tell? Anyway, it seemed to have worked. So, Angle now is the perfect symbol of the Republican base in 2010. She's a fresh face, which means she's probably totally ignorant of politics. She enjoys grassroots support, which means the wingnuts line up to shout at her. And she wants to repeal the handiwork, not just of Franklin Roosevelt, but of Theodore Roosevelt. 
Successful parties motivate their activists. We know this is what what, uh, Obama did so successfully in 2008. He motivated the activists and and harnesses them to do the work. And they convince them that it's it's so important to retake power that it's worth supporting ideologically impure candidates who have the best chance to win. That's the way you do it. That's not happening in today's Republican Party. The GOP has not been in the political wilderness long enough to make those compromises. It's not in a pragmatic frame of mind. Republican activists are desperate to show America how angry they are. They're less desperate to win elections. And on both counts, they may get their wish. Now get ready for this, David, because this is so way beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Okay. An Arizona elementary school. I said Arizona. That does it already. Yeah, we know I this be- is going to be wingnut I'm heaven. There. Okay. An Arizona elementary school mural featuring the faces of kids who attend the school has been the subject of constant daytime drive-by racist screaming from adults, as well as the object of a radio talk show host and city councilman, Steve Blair, who broadcast... I'm not a racist individual, but I will tell you, depicting a black guy in the middle of that mural based upon who's president of the United States today and based upon the history of this community, when I grew up, we had four black families who I have been very good friends with for years to depict the biggest picture on that building as a black person. I would have to ask the question, why? (laughs) Oh, that's a wonderful sentence just to begin with. Yeah. The school uh-huh. principal ordered the faces of the Latino and black students to be changed to Caucasian skin. No. Now, yes. I mean, this, you know, no, David, I used to think, no, well, no, no, yeah, no, this, no. this is just winged up. But you know what? what what's, ne- this, what's next? The Arizona version of Kristallnacht? What's it going to be? Taco Nacht? Firebomb? <laughs> oh, firebomb? All the Taco Bells? Uh, make a bonfire out of Spanish textbooks in front of the courthouse? Well, we wouldn't want these. We wouldn't want any sort of, you know, specifically racist policies to be discussed under. Uh, you know, but there's good walls. news. There's there good, good news. news. There's good news. Uh-huh. This is all good news now. The gutless, car-bound, racist lost, and the mural is being restored to its original theme. And Jeff Lane, the principal of Miller Valley Elementary School, and Kevin Cap. The school superintendent showed up at a protest to apologize for giving in to whims of mentally deranged adults spewing racial epithets at a painting. Boy, I'll tell you. And if they'd, if they'd just thrown, you know, tar balls at the mural as they drove by, then everybody would be African-American. Still waiting for a response to those 300 resumes you sent out last month? Bad news. Some companies are ignoring all unemployed applicants. In a current job posting on The People Place, a job recruiting website for the telecommunications, aerospace, defense, and engineering industries, an anonymous electronics company in Angleton, Texas, advertises for a quality engineer. Qualifications for the job are the usual computer skills, oral and written communication skills, light to moderate lifting, but red print at the bottom of the ad says client will not consider or review anyone not currently employed regardless of the reason. So you're out of a job, man. You're out of luck. In a nearly identical job posting for the same position, on the Benchmark Electronics website, the red print is missing. But a human resources representative for the company confirmed to HuffPost uh, just recently that the People Place ad accurately reflects the company's recruitment policies. Here's a quote. 
it's our preference that they are currently employed. He said, we, we typically go after people that are happy where they are and then tell them about the opportunities here. We try to minimize the amount of time we spend on the unemployed and try to rifle shoot the folks we're interested in. Ignore the unemployed and rifle shoot the happily employed? Am I the only one here who thinks this is compassion-free, bottom-line bullshite? Well, consider the fact that there are about 5.5 people looking for work for every job available. This is according to the latest data from the Labor Department. Then there's Sony Ericsson, a global phone manufacturer that recently announced that it would be bringing 180 new jobs to the Buckhead, Georgia area. Also, they also recently uh, posted an ad uh, for a marketing position on the People Place. The ad specified no unemployed candidates will be considered at all. When asked about the ad, a spokeswoman said, this was a mistake, and once it was noticed, it was removed. Yeah, once it was noticed. And what happened to the mid-level goon who penned it and the upper mid-level goon who approved it? Quote, in the current economy where millions of people have lost their jobs through absolutely no fault of their, their own, I find it beyond unconscionable that any employer would not consider unemployed workers for current job openings, said Judy Conti, who is the federal advocacy coordinator for the National Employment Law Project. Increasingly, politicians and policymakers are trying to blame the unemployed for their condition. And to see this shameful propaganda trickle down to hiring decisions is truly sad and despicable, she says. Yeah, you're right, Miss Conti. This is good old American-style Calvinism. God has turned his face from the unemployed. There is no law prohibiting discrimination against the unemployed, though advocates said the practice could be illegal if it had a disparate impact on minority groups. Uh, Let's take this one step better. The unemployed are a disadvantaged class, and discrimination against them should be against the law. But that's only punitive. We need the government, remember that's we the people, you know, to step in and put people back to work. We need a new, new deal. That's the opposite of the welfare state. We could put millions to work repairing our physical and electronic infrastructure, but all we are building is the road to welfare. He was a dreamer For reasons many She was a fool For his ways I walked on a wire On bridges still burning Together they danced Through the smoke that they'd raised For the moment No thoughts of tomorrow And fate was the dealer In the cards that they played And now that they're weary Their youth has escaped them They'll 
feed off the flames from the fires they've made They'll say, my, how we've danced My, how we've danced Love is a gamble We took the chance My, how we've danced He still remembers That first night he held her The sweet smell of jasmine she wore in her hair The fear known to children Yet the lust of two lovers that moment they shared made them lighter than air They say, my, how we've danced My, how we've danced Love is a gamble, but we took the chance My, how we've danced In a world where love's a restless wind Was it really left to chance? Was theirs a secret only known to them For all are called you will share the magic of the dance He's still a dreamer Reasons are many And yes, she's a fool for his ways They've loved for a lifetime In a world that's outgrown them Together they'll dance to the end of their days They'll say, my, how we've danced My, how we've danced and Love is a gamble, we took the chance My, how we've done. Well, here's one for you, Pete. I, I, I know you know uh, Representative Ike Skelton, conservative yeah. Missouri Democrat. Well, he's kind of a populist Democrat. Yeah, he's, he's, he's weird and he's okay. He's a mixture. Well, he's the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee. That's right. That's a fairly heavy-duty job, okay? Yeah. Well... <laughs> He said that he thought the debate in Congress over the proposed repeal of the don't ask, don't tell policy might force families to explain homosexuality to their children. No. Yes, and this is what he said. What do mommies and daddies say to their seven-year-old child? 
First of all, what is the chairman of the Armed Services Committee referring to parents as mommies and daddies? Does Is he afraid of the dark? And here's the thing. Don't ask, don't tell, okay? Well, first of all, we should tell all of the seven and eight-year-olds out there that are listening, don't ask about homosexuality. No. Don't make your parents get really upset and try and talk about the birds and the bees when the birds and the bees are both guys, okay? Yeah, especially if you're seven years old. You and know, then don't tell. Yeah. If your kid wakes up, yeah. you know, amongst all of his little bears and all these things, Daddy, what is homosexuality and what does it have to do with the efficiency and fighting power of the army? Don't tell them. That's right. Don't tell them. Don't ask. Don't, don't tell. Well, according to quantum physics, there's matter and antimatter. So the Oz show today is the matter. It's about things that matter. Mm -hmm. And the end of the show, which is now, is the antimatter. And what could be more antimaterial than a fabulous Tang poem? That's right. That's right. This is by Lee Ho, written about 815. <laughs> I don't mean in the evening either. Could have been, though. <laughs> Could have been. Who's to know? Well, and he calls it Big Song. Okay? The south wind wears the mountains down, making plains. It's ordained that the ocean god will invade dry land and leave the seabed bare. When the queen of heaven's peach trees have flowered a thousand times, where will the man of great longevity and unrivaled wisdom be? A piebald horse, his neck dappled under the dark mane, spring willows rising through mist, the lute girl coaxing me with wine in a golden cup. Can blood and spirit live together? Can they survive apart? General Tingling, don't drink too much. Hero and master so seldom get together. I'm going to have silk embroidered in memory of Ping Yuan, the lavish patron, and pour libations on his earth for luck. That famous water clock, the jade toad fountain, drips too fast, chokes itself. The dancing girl's hair gets so thin she's afraid to comb it. The eyebrows of autumn will turn green again. Why do we waste ourselves at twenty, scrambling for positions, just so we can work for someone else? Well, that's Oz for today, Radio Free Oz, the Oz Team. Here it comes. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, David Osman. Our co-host, John Cummings, is our electronic-type consultant. Who keeps it pretty? Phil Fountain. Who does the web? Tom Gedwillow. And Chaz Glass does the financials. Bill McIntyre is our producer. And Scott Wild. ooh, he's our social media guru. Catch you tomorrow in either direction.